it. Well, it's good to see everyone tonight. It's good to be back. It's good to see those that are slowly jumping on Facebook Live. We welcome you. And tonight we are going to continue with Mind Brain Connection. This is number 170. We've been on this for over three years, as most of you know. But before I actually get into the psalm that I want to talk about tonight, I want to read a word that I had put on Facebook as a post. I put it on there concerning 2023. Some of you read it, and I saw some of you reposted it and liked it and so forth and commented. But what I want to do is I want to read that particular post for those who possibly did not read it. And as I said, it's about 2023. And I used a rather strange word in there. It just, you know, popped in my awareness, and so I thought, I'm going to go with this. And so what I titled the post was 2023 Spiritual Serendipity. Oh, yeah. Spiritual serendipity. So let me just read it as I put it on Facebook. The word serendipity can be seen as a biblical concept. It is spiritually defined as pleasing things which happen to one when you're not necessarily looking for them to happen. It is when spiritual suddenlies take place in our lives in a beneficial way. In general, serendipity is the act of finding or discovering something of value when one is not even looking for it. You ever had that happen to you? You wake up in the morning. I woke up a couple weeks ago, a week and a half, and I had this instant revelation. I'm not going to share it with you right now, but I had this instant revelation I couldn't, you know, tell if it was a dream or just a thought I was waking up with. Had no clue, but it was a spiritual serendipity, a serendipitous experience, subjectively. For example, it could be that an unexpected revelation is quickened, which greatly alters your life. In Malachi 3, 1, it states, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly, yes. serendipity, yeah. suddenly come to his temple, mm -hmm. even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Mm -hmm. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. This, of course, originally referred to John the Baptist. Mm -hmm. Coming, preparing the way of the Lord. When it says that John the Baptist came in the power and the spirit of Elijah, as the forerunner of Jesus Christ, who suddenly, at the time, suddenly came to his temple. However, the allegorical fulfillment of this verse is the Lord subjectively and suddenly coming to the temple of his people. In Jude verse 14, the original Greek states that his coming is in myriads of himself. Yes. The words coming, appearing, and manifestation of the Lord are all depicted as his coming in and as a people. Yes. Not as a literal man splitting an eastern sky. Oh, Revelation 1.7 states that he comes in clouds, and the term clouds denotes people like cloud of witnesses and so forth. In Revelation 6, it states that there is a white horse 
And the white horse, which people say he's going to literally come upon, means strength and understanding. Mm -hmm. So his coming mm -hmm. is in a people, as a people, mm -hmm. in the strength of the Lord, and in understanding. Mm -hmm. Rather than Jesus yeah. yes. coming on a white stallion, yes. splitting an eastern sky, and coming back on a white horse to make everything right. And then I went on to say how that in Psalm 115 and verse 16, it states that the earth has been given to the sons of men to make right. Mm -hmm. So it's through the coming, the suddenly, the serendipitous experiences that we experience right here in, through, and as us, mm -hmm. that things are set right Amen. out here as Amen. far as manifestation is concerned. Jesus is not coming back to set everything right. A people are his epiphania, Come on. meaning outreign. A people are his unveiling, meaning apocalypsis. A people are his immediate presence or perusia. Yes. Mm -hmm. The sons of men, according to Genesis 1.26, have been given dominion in the earth. However, the sad fact is most erroneously believe that their hope is a man splitting yes. the sky and coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than his coming in and through and as a people. Yeah. His coming is mankind rising up in strength and understanding, mm -hmm. taking dominion in the earth. Amen. First this earth yes. as we yield the left side yeah. and then that earth. Amen as things are set straight by a people that speak the truth. Absolutely. There is a spiritual serendipity on the horizon mm -hmm. as a people continue to view according to Father's glory, mm -hmm. the Spirit's view and opinion, yes. rather than according to the seeing of the natural eye and the hearing of the natural physical ear on our head. Mm -hmm. But this coming is a discernment as we begin to view things through the single eye. Why are people so confused about this? It seems that the people that preach the loudest and the strongest walk by faith and not by sight never do. <laughs> they do not. Yeah. They can preach it. Yeah. They can spew it out. They can shuck the corn, as Candy says. Shuck that corn. <laughs> and it seems that they walk by faith the least and are judging according to the seeing of the eye yes. and the hearing of the ear. Yep. Why is this? Because no one has actually taught them how to abstain from every appearance of evil and appearance of external good. Yeah. Their leaders, their pastors have never taught them to judge righteous judgment. Mm -hmm. What is righteous judgment? It is discerning things again, not according to the way they look mm -hmm. or how they may feel in the natural or how they may appear in the natural, but it is judging righteous judgment. Yes. 2023, listen, God is not going to, and there's not going to be a move of God in the earth that's going to cause things to happen on the left hand and on the right hand. There's not going to be that. You know, there's one very popular preacher that preaches often. When we rest, God moves. Oh. 
When we move, God rests. He doesn't do anything. Well, let me tell you, he's always at rest. Yes, he yes. is. Yes, he he's is. always at rest. He yes, finished he the work. He's he seated yeah. at rest. Yeah. And so that, that is not the truth whatsoever, that when we rest, God moves. And when we move and try to work it out ourselves, God rests. <laughs> that is not the truth at all. 2023 can be the greatest year ever, but it's going to be because we make it that. That's it. It's going to be because we make it that. Come on. So I close this word with 2023 will release more serendipitous embodiment from within than we have ever subjected and experienced in any previous year as we agree with that. Yes, ma'am. As we agree with it. Sure will. It can be just like in any other year. Yes. If people are still going to be waiting on God to send Jesus Christ back on a white stallion and set things straight. It can be a great year, the best year we've ever had, if we make it that. Gotta make it that. Through the power of God, through the Spirit of God. The Spirit of Christ that dwells on the inside of us and who we are. The throttle is in our hand. That's what it means in Revelation chapter 1 where it says the kingdom is at hand. It's the throttle is in our hand. He's given the sons of men the earth. Now, how is that going to happen? It's not going to be by works. It's going to be as we continue to speak the truth. Regardless of what we see, regardless of what we feel, regardless of how it looks, as we continue to speak the truth about focusing upon that which is already finished and has already been finished, then manifestation will ensue. Amen. Amen. Now, what I want to do is go into Psalm 9. As you know, we have incorporated a little bit of the book of Psalms into our mind-brain connection series. So we're going to deal with part of Psalm 9, but I want to say a few things before we get there. We may never get to Psalm 9. I don't know. And if we don't, that's, that's fine. We'll come back around the next time. But what I want to share with you is that Psalm 23, remember we started with Psalm 23, when I incorporated the book of Psalms, and I shared with you my own paraphrase of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, being what? What is it that shepherds us? Our Christ mind. And I gave you my paraphrase on that. And any enemy that we have is not some enemy external to us. To David it was. But to us, the allegorical enemy is the left-sided thoughts. Not just left-sided thoughts, but the left-sided thoughts in and of themselves. When the intellect tries to rule, when reason, natural reason tries to rule, when logic or ego edging God out tries to rule, when emotions tries to rule, when five senses tries to rule, and we have not yielded those to our Christ's mind, then our enemies are ruling. Yes. Our enemy is ruling and reigning, and we have not created the throne to rule from. That's right. Okay? So what I want to say then concerning Psalm 1, we talked about Psalm 23, but Psalm 1, remember I shared with you 
that someone gives us not commands, but observations. Yes, he does. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? Well, someone one says, blessed is the man, and then it goes on, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, stands in the way of the sinner, sits in the seat of the scornful, and all of that. And all of that is saying to us that when we read that, when you see it as observation, you look at that and you think, oh, I see. I observe, and I can observe that if I will not do the things that it says not to do, then I can bear fruit that remains. Mm -hmm. That's an observation. A command involves death. I've got to do this, that, or the other. That involves death, if you think that you are commanded mm -hmm. in the scriptures. Mm -hmm. We see observations in the scriptures, meaning I can see what the result will be right. if I will yield the left side in and of itself to the right side, to the yeah. Christ mind. Yeah. I see the results of that. Yeah. And what are the results? Fruit that remains. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's about life, not death. Mm -hmm. It's about observations, not commands. We're not commanded to do certain things and not do other things. There are simply observations for us to look at, mm -hmm. to read, and, and let me say, not so much even read in a book you hold in your hands, but we are reading the observations that are written upon our heart and our mind. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's the book we want to read. Mm -hmm. We're the book of life. And we want to read the living epistles within yes. us. We're living epistles. Yeah. Known and read of all men. Well, the one person that needs to know that is ourselves. That's right. yeah. Forget about people. There you go. Looking at us and saying, oh, right. what a testimony. Oh, what a witness. And that's good. Yeah. You know, they do see that. But we're the ones that need to read the living epistles. Yeah. That we are. Amen. The word that's written upon our heart and our mind, we need to read. Now, let me give you two examples, and I, I did a post on this, and I gave these two examples, and I shared with those who read the post that I wanted to teach these two examples before I actually get into Psalm 9. And the first one had to do with Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, a man that rules. A man that yields the left side to the right and creates a throne and rules. That's what Jacob experienced. He saw with the single eye the pineal, and he even named the place Peniel. But how many remember when you read that story in Genesis 32, it says there that he simply wrestled with an angel. What is an angel? It's a message. Have you ever wrestled with a message? Of course. We've all wrestled with a message. Yeah. Yeah. And to the degree that we still have religion between our ears, yeah. to that degree do we still wrestle with the message. Yeah. Yeah. But he wrestled with the message, and eventually when he gave in, and he yielded the left, the intellect of what he thought about the message, mm -hmm. or he's trying to reason out that message, what happened was he was made to limp. Remember reading that? Yeah. He walked with a limp. Sure the message so changed him yeah. once he received it and it was conceived and quickened within him that from that point on he walked with a limp. Hmm. 
Now, what is that and how does that affect us allegorically? When this message is conceived and quickened within us, we walk differently. You yes. sure do. We walk with that limp. Yeah. Our left side limps, <laughs> halts our limps from that point on. And I remember years ago making a statement, don't ever trust anyone that doesn't walk with a limp. <laughs> because if there is a person in your life that has not learned the truth, the secret or the truth, of yielding intellect and reason and logic and ego and five senses and emotions, if they've not learned that, then I don't trust them any further than I can throw them. <laughs> and this is exactly what happened with this guy, Jacob the deceiver. And then his name, once he began to halt Upon, and it was upon his hip, oh. speaking of this area that speaks of reproduction. No. That's another factor here. Oh, man. It spoke of reproduction. He no longer could reproduce, or once he received it, he began to reproduce the spiritual life Amen. within his life. Amen. Now, I want to take this a little bit further because we have said in this series that our left side is an equivalent. Yeah. It is not lesser than the right side. Now, it is weaker than the right side, but God gave it. Just as Eve, the woman, was given to Adam. Right. She was a help meet. And the word help meet, and you have to study a little bit and dig a little bit to find this, help meet simply means an equivalent. Yes, weaker on one sense, on one level. And in the New Testament, it talks about the weakness of God. Yeah. Did you know God has a weakness? It's, us. <laughs> it's our left side in and of itself when it's in operation, Whoa. apart from the right side or apart from the Christ model. So listen, weaker just simply means, it doesn't mean it's less. Right. When you look at a husband and wife, is the wife, is she, is she, uh, Subservient? Is she less of a person? Nope. Some circles it. No, but she's weaker. Oh. Mm -hmm. There's a weakness there. There's a but it's listen, it's the weakness of God. Because it was given of God. Wow. It is only the weakness of God, or it is only weaker in the sense that the left side was never given to us to lead first and foremost. That is so good. Never given to lead. It was always given to yield. Yeah. To yield. The weakness of God, now remember, it's the weakness of God, but it's of God, though. Mm -hmm. So that means it's not lesser in the sense of being subservient. No. It's a helpmeet. It's an equivalent. Adam needed Eve. Eve needed Adam. Mm -hmm. A husband and wife, they can't have children without needing both that are in the marriage or in the relationships. So once we begin to see that, we begin to come to some understanding. What am I saying? I'm simply saying that when Jacob began to receive the message and embrace the message, 
He began to walk with a limp. In other words, he began to realize that he was not to live by the left side in and of itself. That he was to continually limp, continually limp, continually walk with this limp, knowing that the left side in and of itself is not to be first and foremost in leadership of your life. Now let me give you another example, then we'll get into Psalm 9. And you can turn to this one if you want, 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9. And a lot of people have trouble with this one. We have people today that say, well, God gives you cancer to teach you a lesson. God causes you to fall off the ladder and break your leg. He has something he wants to teach you. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't believe our father is that much into teaching us a lesson. No, he's not. He loves us regardless whether we learn the lesson or not. Now, yes. now listen, you can learn things when you go through things. Yes, you but can. my point is, our father does not cause these negative circumstances no, and situations just to teach us a lesson. Right. And the one I want to use to teach this is in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where Paul the Apostle had this thorn in the flesh, and he came to God, and he asked God to remove it. Do you know what part it was of Paul the Apostle that was asking God to remove it? His intellect. His reason. His ego. His five senses. His emotions. This is causing me discomfort. God, I want rid of it. And so he asked the Father to remove it. Look what it says in verse 9. The Lord responds back then, once Paul asks, specifically asks the Father to remove this thorn, whatever it was, it doesn't matter what it was, it was, it was uh, something of discomfort to him, obviously. So the Lord then comes back, once Paul says, Lord, will you remove this? He comes back, the Lord does, and it says this. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. Why are you asking me? Then it goes on. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. This is good. I can hear that. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, glory means, I know it means different things to different people, but one of the meanings of glory is the view and the opinion of the Father. Okay? Paul had to repent. He wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament, but he had to repent. And you know what repent means? Repent has nothing to do with confessing your sin or your sins. Repentance has to do, and here's the literal meaning of it, to go beyond the lower awareness. <laughs> to move beyond mere intellect, reason, logic, five senses, emotions, ego. Wow. To move beyond that. Wow. Now, I love this. Let me read this again. The Lord said unto him, once Paul said, God, will you remove this? He said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. I'm going to add a few words here for emphasis. For my strength is made perfect, and I'm going to paraphrase this, my strength, Paul, is made perfect in weakness when you realize the weakness of the left side in and of itself. So good. Most gladly, therefore, listen, 
will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So, the power made strong in weakness was simply the weakness of Paul's left side in and of itself. And the infirmities that he gloried in, listen, was not the thorn in the flesh. People say, well, God gives us cancer and God gives us diabetes and God, they're glorying in that. Oh, hey! They're glorying in that. Come on! And it's a very prideful thing many times. Wow! They're glorying in their infirmities. But listen to the meaning of infirmities in Thayer's Greek lexicon. You ready for this? Wow! Infirmities. Feebleness of mind. Oh! And eventually body. Yes. But here's what it means also. Infirmities. See, if you want to glory in your infirmities, the infirmities we need to glory in is the fact that we realize that the left side in and of itself is not sufficient. That's it. You want to glory in infirmities. Thayer's Greek lexicon, it means infirmities, feebleness of mind to restrain corrupt thoughts or lower desires. Holy smokes. That's infirmities. That is so good. So now listen, for Paul to ask God to remove this thorn from him was what? Trusting in his intellect. He needed to repent. He needed to go beyond the lower intellect, beyond the lower reasoning, beyond the lower ego and logic, beyond the lower five senses and beyond the lower emotions. In other words, when God told Paul, my grace, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, he was saying, yep. Paul, you do something about it. You do it. <laughs> my grace is sufficient. Oh, this is so good. You do something about it. Oh, my gosh. You do something about it, Paul. You, what is the thing you're supposed to do about it, Paul? You <laughs> yield your left side of trying to reason it out. You yield your left side of intellect. You yield your left side from operating in and of itself. And realize that when you yield the left side, my grace and my power in you, through you, as you, is going to do abundantly above anything you could ask or think or imagine. Okay, I can't get Sue Marie over here. Calm down. Anybody want a hanky? Now, doesn't that make more spiritual yes, it does. sense? Yes, it does. When you understand what glory is, oh, when you understand does. what infirmities mean, yes, it does. Father was simply saying, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. You do this. You do yeah. it. Yeah. I've invested everything within everything. you. You yeah. do it. Yeah. But yet today we have this idea that God's yes. going to do this, that, or the other. Yeah. There's going to come a move of God. Well, if there comes a move of God, it's going to be because it comes from in Him yes. we live and move. Yes. In Him we yes. live and move yes. and have our being. Yes. So it's as we come to the understanding of what Jacob came to in Genesis 32, as we come to the understanding of what Paul the Apostle came to concerning this thorn in the flesh, that's when God is going to move in through and as a people. Amen. 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 
And the sooner we can understand yes. that, and we are. Yes, we are. The sooner we're going to experience yes, what religion is looking for as a move of God, yes. we're going to experience in the, right. this in the midst yep. of a people, not apart yep. from yep. a people. Unity. In the midst of a people. So God is, I, I know this is tight, but it's right. right. God is not healing anyone, folks. What, what do you stand up? How could he heal people when he already brought us forth as wholeness and as complete and as health? Yeah, he had done everything he did. And someone says, well, when Jesus went to the cross, he did that. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Oh, well, Jesus himself said, you know, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And when he went to the cross in his death, burial, resurrection, he brought us a life we didn't have. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He revealed the life we always had. Amen. Because our Father brought us forth. You yeah. sure did. With that very life. Amen. God. Amen. God's not healing anyone, folks. He's not blessing anyone, folks. He's already blessed. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now it's up to us to walk in the realization of that. Yes. Yes. And when we walk in the realization of that, that produces because the awareness is manifestation. Yes, the It'll bring about right. the projection of that yes. manifestation. Yes. But people, religion is always looking for something out here to happen because they have not learned to judge righteous judgment. Right. They always want something out here to transpire. You know why? They're lazy. <laughs> God, you yeah. do it for me. Yeah. Well, let me stand up. You do it for me. Yeah. And yet he's given us all things to do it. Yes, that's right. Within ourselves. Amen. Oh, my God. Amen. Now, let's go to Psalm 9. Psalm 9. Yeah. And let me say, as we read here in Psalm 9, that these words are to be mediated. What do I mean? Meditated upon. Yes. They're not just nice words yes. for us to read or to memorize. I mean, you can memorize them if you want, but in the long run, that's not going to do a whole lot for you until you begin to subjectively walk within them. Yes. In fact, in the Aramaic, you don't see the word psalms in the Aramaic. It's songs, S-O-N-G-S. There's a lot of psalms that we can read about in the scriptures. There's the Song of the Redeemed, the Song of David, Song of the Lamb, the Song of Moses, the Song of David. There's a lot of songs that we find in the scripture. So in other words, singing or the concept of a song is very important. Once the word of God is conceived within our heart awareness, our left side, once it's conceived and quickened there, it becomes a song. Amen. Amen. Even if you're not verbally singing it, you're singing it. That's so good. In Ephesians 5, 19, Paul said, make melody in your heart. Mm -hmm. Do you know that in many homeschool classes today, one of their methods of teaching the children, and it really catches on with them, is getting them to sing mm -hmm. what they want them to learn. Yep. I remember Katie Grace singing certain, you know, things that they were teaching her. 
And she'll probably never forget it for the rest of her life. It's just something that sticks with you. Have you ever had a song that just played over and over and over yeah. in your heart or in your, you might say, in your head all day long? And you couldn't get rid of it? Think what's going to happen once the truth is really conceived and quickened within us and becomes our song. Right. You know, I remember saying this years ago when I didn't even know what I was saying, George. And George. I said, you know what we need to do? And you got Sheila, you probably remember. I said, what we need to do is learn to love our soul into the union. Yeah. Remember me saying that? Yeah. I said that years ago until I was blue in the face, I think. I had no clue about what I was talking about, hardly at all. But we need to learn to love our soul into the union because what is that doing? That's loving him and him loving us. Yeah. Yeah. That's him loving us, us loving him. When we learn to love our soul into the union, it becomes like making love. See, listen, you can't make love in anger. Bless God. You cannot make love in legalism. Or fear. Or fear. Or commandments. Love making can only happen in happiness, in comfort, in joy, and in love. So once this is quickened and conceived within us, it becomes our love song. And again, let me quote Paul, Ephesians 5.19, making melody in your hearts. There's times that I'll be in my home and revelation will begin to quick, quicken within me concerning what I'm going to share and I'll just begin to sing it. I've done that hundreds and hundreds of times. Just sing the revelation. Just sing the revelation. I had a person one time not too long ago make fun of me because he said, do you take notes in handwriting? I said, yeah. He said, why don't you use your computer? Because it's a proven fact, yes. if you write out your notes, you're going to remember it. Yes, you do. It's a proven fact. Yes. It's a proven fact. Now, let me go in another direction. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, God told Adam and the woman to be fruitful and multiply. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you think we multiply? How do we multiply? We join... Now, we know masculine and feminine are already objectively one, but subjectively we join the two together. Yeah. Wow. And one of the ways that we do that is through lovemaking, through loving our soul into the union, not condemning ourselves for every little thing we do that we think is wrong. Because quite frankly, listen, and I know a lot of people are going to you know, freak out for me to say this, God don't care. He just wants us to see what we have done that was not according to spirit and use it as a stepping stone. Amen. He doesn't impute any of that junk to us. Right. He never has. Amen. The main thing is that we learn through it. Yeah. That's the main thing. Yeah, that's right. So to multiply, for us to multiply is simply to subjectively join the masculine and the feminine together into the oneness that they already have objectively. And the only way we're going to do that is when we learn the importance of yielding the left side and not living strictly by our intellect the way we think it should be or reason the way we think it should go by not living from that in and of itself. 
But as we yield that to our Christ mind, mm -hmm. that's when we begin to multiply the masculine and the feminine or join them together. And again, the only way that can be done is through love making. Wow. When we love our soul, our feminine part, into the subjective union. Wow. So the Psalms were songs, and they were songs testifying to spiritual experience. The Psalms, many of them were written by King David, the psalmist, and we know that the time came when he became the king of Israel, and he represents a type of the Lord Jesus Christ who showed us that death had and has no power, nor did it ever have any power. The Psalms and the Psalms of David were, and I, I remember ministering some of this years ago, and I said that the Psalms or the Psalms of David were Psalms of a death fighter. But now I'm going to change that. Not a death fighter. We don't fight death. No. But what we do is we realize death never ever had any stinking power. It never ever had any power. And Jesus came in his death to expose the lies and in his resurrection to reveal the truth. That was always the truth about us. So these psalms were actually realizations that David had of his subjective experience that he walked in. And listen, we have our own psalms. We have our own psalms. When that which has been written upon our heart and upon our mind are sung, conceived, and quickened within us, that's our song. Amen. That's our song. Amen. And whether we verbally sing it out loud or not, it's still our song. Amen. It's our life, yeah. and that's our song. Now, here in Psalm 9, notice, David took music very seriously. And this was written to the chief musician. In fact, David organized the entire musical situation of the kingdom of Israel. He ordered the 24 courses of the priests. He ordered all the magicians and their leadership. He ordered the sound and the way that the music was to sound. He encouraged them to play unto the Lord with skill, joyfulness, and intelligence. And he taught them out of his own spiritual realization. Music was totally intense to David. Now, if you have a Bible, and if you're following along with me tonight in Psalm 9, there's a little kind of like a subtitle there. And I'm going to read it out of the King James, but I'm also going to read it out of the New King James. But if you have one of the better Bibles, or even I did go to, to, the, uh, to, to the Google, and I went to the Internet, and I looked at Psalm 9, and it had, it had the subtitle. And here's the subtitle of Psalm 9. To the chief musician upon Muth Laban. Is that what your Bible says? Yeah. To the chief musician upon Muth Laban, a song of David. New King James says it this way. To the chief musician, to the tune of death of the sun. Hmm. To the chief musician, to the tune of death of the sun, a psalm of David. Now, what in the big round world is that talking about? Well, let me give you some definition here. First of all, the word music.
musician in the Hebrew, it's number 5329, means to glitter. <laughs> Our song needs to glitter. And trust me, it will glitter. Amen. Once that which is written upon our heart and our mind is conceived within our heart awareness and quickened there subjectively, <laughs> our song will glitter. Oh, it's to glitter. Mm. Paul said, make melody in your heart, which spontaneously comes up out of you concerning your revelation. It's not a learned song that Paul was talking about when he said, Make melody in your heart. It's not a learned song that David is telling his musician to come up with here. It's a spontaneous song. Oh, now let me stand up. Man, that is so good. And when you begin to sing out of your quickened revelation, it's a spontaneous song. Yes. And it glitters. It glitters. It sparkles. Wow. It's full of light. Wow. And when that happens, it shines yeah, for all to see. Well, but the most important thing is that it glitters for you. <laughs> now, this word musician also means, in the Hebrew, to build faith, instill confidence, and to encourage. It means to glitter, and it will glitter when it's your song, not a learned song. Not a song that you heard someone sing, so now you like the song, so you're going to sing it. Now, that can glitter to a degree. Don't misunderstand. But when it's your revelation, honey, it glitters. It glitters. It's a light. It shines. It builds faith. It instills confidence. It encourages. It does all of that. Now, let's take it a little bit further. It's to the chief musician upon Muth Laban. Have you ever heard that word before? Muth Laban. It's constructed upon Muth Laban. In other words, the song of David must glitter, be glorious, glorious. Shine, shine, be radiant, radiant. emanate with skill, emanate spiritual with revelation, skill. spiritual intelligence. I could even throw in spiritual logic, yeah. spiritual reasoning. Yeah. As Isaiah said, come, right. let's reason together. Yeah. It's a song of Muth Laban. Now, what does that mean? What does Muth Laban mean? Well, Muth, M-U-T-H, means death. Death. And Laban means the son of. So this was a song that David instructed his musician to write as a result of his defeat and victory over Goliath. Yep. In other words, if I would interpret this, I would say that you can either be a son of life or a son of death, subjectively, manifestly, depending on which side you draw out of. That's so good. If you take, and what does, what does lopping off Goliath's head speak of? Goliath represents the lower thoughts of the left side. Yes. And remember, David not only killed him, but he lopped off his head. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go along. So in other words, David, in the defeat of Goliath, the lower thoughts, intellect, reason, emotions, five senses,
Jesus logic ego in the fact that he had victory allegorically over Goliath over the lower thoughts he himself became a son of life yes he killed the son of death Goliath and he became the son of life because of what he did now I could take this right back to Jesus's death his death exposed the lies of religiosity, the lies of intellect, reason, logic, the lies of what our emotions tries to dictate to us, or our five senses. Jesus exposed all those lies sure did. in his death. The veil was rent in his death, right? And then in his resurrection, what did he do? He revealed the truth that had always been the truth about us. Not truth that became truth to us at that time, no. He revealed in his resurrection the truth that had always been the truth about us. In fact, I've said this many times, the word resurrection literally means to gather our faculties. What does it mean to gather our faculties? Yield the left side, all those faculties, five senses, emotions, intellect, reason, logic, ego, gather our faculties, Yield them to the Christ mind. That's one of the meanings of resurrection, to gather our faculties. It also means to reveal or the discovery of spiritual truth. That's resurrection. So this song that David told his musician to write was a song of victory concerning David's getting rid of Goliath. <laughs> Representing allegorically the lower thoughts Man. and then lopping them off once and for all. Lop it off. <laughs> now, let me give you something else to think about here. So good. The meaning incorporated with the words of this title in Psalm 9, where it says, thank you, the Psalm of David, and means a song that is a familiar melody. Say that again. Psalm 9 is the Psalm of David, and it means, the Psalm of David means a song that is a familiar melody. What does that mean? This means that David was singing the song nearly continuously. Oh, man. It was his song of victory. Are we singing this song of the fact that there's no victory whatsoever in the lower thoughts, oh, man. but there is victory in yielding the lower thoughts yeah. to the Christ mind, yeah. are we singing the song continually? Yeah. Because if we're singing the song continually, then guess what? We are yielding the left side in and of itself continually. Yeah. Yeah. And the song is this, the song is this, I'm not going to have you turn there, but the song is depicting what it says in the Amplified in 1 Timothy 6.16 where it says that we are exempt from every kind of death. That's the song. That's part of the song. And guess what death is? We might think, oh, that's just talking about physical death. No. Paul said in Romans chapter eight and verse seven, that the carnal way of thinking, or to be carnally mindful, 
is death. So the song of victory that we're singing is death or the carnal mindfulness or the left side has no stinking power whatsoever. It is powerless. And that's the song we're singing. Once the truth is quickened and conceived within us, that's our song. And that song glitters. And it builds faith. And it shines. And it encourages. And it lifts us up. Now, to develop this a little bit more, and I'm almost finished, remember, remember when Saul tried to suit up David to go out after Goliath? He tried to put his armor on him. And that points to Saul wanting David to go after Goliath in religion and lower thinking. If he'd have gone out after Goliath in religion and lower thinking, he'd have never conquered Goliath whatsoever. However, because David, listen, because David did not glory in his left side as Paul did over the thorn in the flesh, because David realized there was a greater life within him than the left side in and of itself, he refused the religious armor of Saul. He refused going after Goliath according to the left side. And he laid down the left side. How many know there were five smooth stones? And he took one and he got him right in the middle of the forehead, right where the pineal is located. And he took him out. And he did that as a result of yielding the left side. Not putting on Saul's religious armor and garb, not putting that on. And again, that represents the fact that David knew he would never be able to conquer Goliath with anything of religiosity, with anything of mere intellect, with anything of mere reasoning or logic or five senses or emotions. David knew that. And listen to this. Do you know the place where Goliath was killed was the same place that Jesus was crucified? Yes. Golgotha, the place of the skull. Golgotha place of the skull. Again, what does Goliath represent? The lower thoughts of the left side. Religiosity, intellect, reason, logic, emotion, five senses. So David was powerful because, listen, he realized the weakness of the left side in and of itself, and he yielded the weakness of God. He yielded the weakness of God to his Christ mind, to his right side. And as a result, he was totally victorious over the lower thoughts, over Goliath. Every enemy that David wrote about in the book of Psalms represents allegorically the enemy of our lower thoughts. When we try to just live out of what we think, our reasoning, how we think it needs to be, and we're led really by the flesh. Yep. rather than by the Spirit. Now, let's read a little bit here in closing. Look at Psalm 9, 
and verse 1. Notice what it says here. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. Now, if you read the I wills here, you will find that there are four I wills. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will, notice, show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. Now, you know what I'm going to say about the number four? Yep. The fourfold aspects of men, which are physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. So the four I wills here would represent the fact that his whole physical, his whole emotional, and his whole mental was yielded to the spiritual aspect. Everything within David was yielded in these four I wills. I will praise thee with my whole heart. Meaning what? Emotionally, mentally, and then physically, it was all yielded unto the spiritual realm. And so this was a song that was continually being sung in David's heart. Maybe not verbally, but it was being sung because he was what? He was walking in heart coherence. He was walking in alignment where his physical, emotional, and mental was concerned. Everything was yielded unto the spirit. And this is what enabled him to walk and to have victory where Goliath or where the lower thoughts were concerned. Now look at verses 3 and 4. When mine enemies are turned back. Now his enemies were people. Our enemies are thoughts. Yeah. Okay? When mine enemies are turned back, especially his lower thoughts first, and then once his enemies were turned back as far as his left side in and of itself, then the enemies of people were turned back as well. Okay? When mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. Now listen to this. For thou hast maintained my right. In other words, we could say that when he drew from his right side, that's what maintained David. For thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou saddest in the throne judging right. So what I hear in that is simply, David was not trying to go to the throne. David was creating the throne. Amen. With his realization here, in verses 3 and 4, David was creating a throne. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't have a throne, but you know, Isaiah said his throne is in our heart. Right. Objectively, his throne is already set up in our heart. So when we then subjectively begin to walk in this, you create the throne that you rule from. Right. And that's exactly what David was doing. He wasn't going to the throne. He was creating the throne as it says there, for him to rule from, because it was on the right. And when he joined the right, yielded the left, and joined it to the right, and the two became one subjectively, God maintained that throne, yeah. see, through and as David. Look at verses 5 and 6. Thou hast rebuked the heathen, the heathenistic thinking. Yeah. Okay? Thou hast destroyed the wicked, the wicked thinking. Thou hast put out their name. 
What does name mean? Way. David put out the way of the wicked. Take it inside of us. David put out the way of the wicked thinking. That's what he did. Then it goes on to say, Thou hast destroyed the wicked, thou hast put out their name, their way. The wicked, the left side, has no way in you anymore. Because you've yielded, you've put it out. It's perished. And then it goes on to say forever. Verse 6, O thou enemy, destructions are come. In other words, destructive thinking produces death. Okay? O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end. Destructive thinking has come to a perpetual end, and thou hast destroyed cities. What do cities mean? Consciousness. The beastly consciousness, the lower consciousness, is destroyed when we yield the left side to the right. And then it goes on to say in the end there, verse 6, their memorial is perished with them. So David is making these statements. In other words, they are realizations to David. They are a song to David. And he's specifically realizing his victory where Goliath is concerned. And he's exactly coming to this realization and this exact place that he was predestined to come to when it came to his enemy, Goliath. That everyone said, you'll never defeat. Remember his brothers? They were so negative. Well, you'll, who do you think you are? You might as well go out in the field and take care of your few sheep. You're never going to defeat Goliath. But David knew better because David had a song. And the song glittered. And David knew that that song in his heart that he continually sang would build up his faith, would encourage him, and would cause him to have victory over this enemy called Goliath. Verse 7, But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment. Now, what is the significance of the phrase here, the Lord shall endure forever? The Lord shall endure forever? I remember hearing that preached so negatively. Well, you know, the Lord's going to endure. You're going to perish, but the Lord's going to endure. Remember the people preaching it like that? But what it's talking about is the fact that the Lord in through and as us endures as we yield the left side. See, and David knew that it was all about yielding. And that if he would yield the left side and not try to go in the armor of Saul, not try to go in religion, not try to go in reasoning or intellect or logic or five senses or how it looked, David knew he'd have victory. David had the victory before this whole thing ever came down. Amen. He sang about the victory. Amen. It was a glittering victory to him yeah. before it ever came down, before it ever went down. Verse 8, and he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. Now, what does that mean, verse 8 there, Psalm 9? He shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. Hang on to Psalm 9 and quickly go to Acts 17 and verse 31. And I'm going to close with this. Acts 17 and verse 31. What does it mean in Psalm 9, verse 8? He shall judge the world in righteousness. 
Most of religion is saying he's going to judge the world in unrighteousness. Yeah. And the majority of, the, of them are going to be cast in some eternal conscious torment. You won't find that anywhere in your scriptures, folks. He's a good God. He is love. He is light. He is life. Someone says, well, no, God doesn't cast anyone in hell. They cast themselves. No. There's no such thing. Now, look what it says in Acts 17, 31. It's talking about how the world is going to be judged. How is the world going to be judged? Now, I know there are consequences when people do things. You know, you can reap what you sow. But as far as God is concerned, he doesn't focus on that. How many know he told Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you. They are for good and not for evil. It doesn't even come to our Father's mind. Someone says, well, God's omnipresent. He knows all things. No, he doesn't. He's chosen to limit some things that he knows concerning us, and that is he knows no evil about us. He knows only good about us. He knows only love about us. He knows only light about us. He knows only life about us. I didn't know I was going to preach like this tonight. <laughs> but it's good anyhow. Look what it says in Acts 17, 31. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world, all mankind, in unrighteousness. Oh, wait, get under a better light here. In righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. What is that saying there? It's simply saying that all men will be judged in righteousness. All men will be judged in righteousness by that man or by the truth that is revealed through the resurrection of yeah. Jesus Christ. Through the last Adam being raised, we begin to see righteousness yeah. rather than unrighteousness Amen. because the truth was discovered by us. Amen. And every man's going to discover that truth. Yeah. And they're going to know. Yeah. Now, back to Psalm 9 in closing. Psalm 9. Look what it says in verse 9. The Lord also will be a refuge. Yeah. Now, we can see why that this song has to be a glittering song. It glitters. Remember the word musician means to glitter, to encourage, to build up faith. So the Lord also will be a refuge. So what is our song about? Our song is about who we be. Our song is about the last Adam. Our song is about the Lord Jesus Christ. Our song is about what he exposed in his death. Yeah. Our song is about what he revealed in the discovery of spiritual truth in his, in his resurrection. Yeah. Our song is about our gathering of our faculties yeah. and yielding them to the left side. Yeah. So the Lord will also be a refuge. Now listen to this. It states that he is our refuge. Numerous places in the scripture. He is our refuge. And listen to this. Here's what refuge means. 
It means to be protected from danger or pursuit or oppression, but it doesn't stop there. Refuge also means a high place. So our protection is our high placed, and the high place is what? Our Christ's mind. And what is the pursuit of our life very often? The pursuit of our life very often has been lower thoughts. But he is our refuge. He is our high place. Goes on to state in verse 9, a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. What is it that we are oppressed by oftentimes? Notice it says, a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. You know what it means to be oppressed? <clears throat> if you look up that word oppressed, it means to break in pieces. In other words, it's the lower thoughts that want to cause a sense of separation or tear us apart from our realization of our oneness that we have always had in him. In other words, to break us apart where our union is concerned. Verse 10, And they that know thy name, how many know name means way? They that know thy name, or way, will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, has not forsaken them that seek thee. So, notice what it says. Number one, they that know thy name. Name means nature, character, and it means way. So what is his nature? It's love. What is his character? It's one. What is his name? It is way. So when we know and have revelation that was revealed to us through his resurrection, we know he is love, we know he is one, in and as a people, and we know his way. And when we know his way, that's what name, the word name means to the ancients, or meant to the ancients, was simply his way. So Psalm 9 is a psalm, listen, of victory over any kind of death, any kind of separation, any kind of lower thoughts. Mm -hmm. Psalm 9 is what you want to look at. And you want to see that we have victory over Goliath or over the lower thoughts. Mm -hmm. Intellect, reason, ego, five senses, emotions. We have victory. And Paul the Apostle, I quoted this earlier, said in Romans 8 and verse 7, to be carnally mindful is death. You don't have two minds. You only have one mind. You don't have a carnal mind. It appears that you do. But as Paul said in Romans 8, 7, to be carnally mindful, to have your awareness full of carnal thoughts and lower thoughts and intellect, reason, logic, all of that junk, Mm -hmm. is death. Mm -hmm. And death will manifest as it did in Adam in the physical, but it has to first manifest in the awareness, in the heart awareness. So Psalm 9 to the chief musician upon Muth Laban. It's a song that glitters. It's a song, the word that was written upon the tablets of our heart and our mind. When it's conceived and quickened, 
And we begin to sing it, maybe not verbally, but we begin to have it roll over and over and over and over in our feminine part, which depicts a song, becomes that which produces victory in every area of our Amen. life. No matter what is presented Amen. to us, Amen. we will have victory. In fact, we already have victory. Yes, we do. But the realization of the fact that we already have victory brings about the victory subjectively. As we make this melody in our heart, in our feminine principle about the fact that, yes, we did forget that we had victory. We always had victory. We were brought here with a victorious awareness, but religion confused the issue and began to tell us, no, you have to do this. You have to eat from the dew to be tree. Then maybe you'll have victory. No, you must eat from the tree of one. Yeah. The tree of life. Yeah. And allow that song in you to glitter yeah. and be raised up. Yeah. And as you do, I don't care what appears to come against you, you are victorious. Yeah. By virtue yeah. of the victorious one that you're in. Amen. Father, we thank you tonight thank you. for your word. Thank you for the song in our heart that glitters. Thank you for the revelation that is quickened and conceived within us. That as we sing that song over and over. Yes. As we see that we've always had victory. And we sing that glittering song over and over. It causes us to know. It causes us to be encouraged. It causes us to go forth knowing one power. One power. One spirit. Yes, ma'am. And one presence. That's so good. Thank you for Holy Spirit within us that even now is quickening and conceiving this word in our heart awareness, causing the two to become one subjectively, that we might know that we know that we know. We thank you, we praise you, glorify you in the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.